is grace uh, working in our lives? So if you've got your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 4. And we will read from uh, verse 1 through to 7. Starting at verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time, which is Christmas there, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, Lord, thank you for this uh, great passage we have in Galatians. Thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself to us uh, through this. And we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us uh, the work of adoption. For what Christ has done for us in coming to this world 2,000 years ago in Christmas, that we are now able to be adopted into God's family. Please, please help us to see that this morning and please help us to worship you in this adoption, to worship you in this amazing blessing that you've poured upon us. Help us today, Lord, to not be distracted by the craziness of this world in this Christmas season, so caught up in gifts and so caught up in all sorts of festivities, but they really do lose the very meaning and essence of what Christmas is all about. Help us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here we do. We find ourselves at Christmas Eve. It's a time of celebration generally. Uh, Christmas is a time we have a feeling of uh, joy and excitement and relaxation. We're thinking about tomorrow, maybe family we're going to be with and the food we're going to eat. I remember as a child or a teenager or as an adult even, coming into the Christmas season with a feeling of peace and contentment. Feeling very peaceful and feeling very, very content. I look forward to Christmas with the anticipation of spending time with family and friends just doing whatever. Uh, great memories of my uh, getting together with my family and sometimes, sometimes extended family over a Christmas barbecue and uh, the fun we would have. It was just a really, really uh, fun time, relaxing season to be in. Christmas was great like that. Not everybody's Christmas, though, is like that. Not everybody's Christmas, though, is like that. There are many who face Christmas this year, like probably other years, with dread and fear and loneliness. It's just another date where everybody else is having fun and feeling relaxed, but I feel anxious or maybe even angry, is how some people may approach Christmas this year. Why should everybody else be going somewhere for Christmas Day, having joy and laughter, and here I am, stuck all on my own, no friends, no family, and nothing at all really to celebrate at Christmas. Some people face Christmas like that. It's very, very difficult. And unfortunately, Christmas Day can be the highest rate of suicides, actually, on Christmas Day as well. It's staggering on such a day of joy and peace that so many people go and take their lives. And that's a terrible tragedy when Christmas is faced like that. If we just truly understood what has taken place at Christmas, we would see why it's a time of pure celebration, even though it's still mixed with heartache in this broken world that we live in. If only we could see what God has done for us 
in Jesus Christ and allow his spirit to build that within our heart, Christmas does truly become a time of wonderment and joy as it's supposed to be. If we can just see, if we can just see what God has done for us. And this is precisely what we see in this passage here in Galatians. We actually see what God has done for us at Christmas. It's only a small passage, but it's eternally powerful. It's got Christmas all over this passage. It's right through it. Here's Paul, a servant of Christ. He has discovered the Christmas message as a deep reality in his own heart. It's not some sort of passing thing. It's a deep reality of the message of Christmas. And this boundless joy that Paul has got hold of grips him. And he takes much delight in speaking about it over and over and over again. He doesn't tire of talking about this Christmas message. It's gripped his heart with such great joy. The Galatians here, where we've read this passage from, is one of the first places that Paul has visited on his first missionary journey with the gospel. He went out to go into the, the known world, which was the Roman world of the day. Uh, the Galatians were the first place, uh, one of the first places he went to. And what they discover there, he discovered a people who were trapped by religion and a faulty idea of who God is. That's where the Galatians were. They were a people who are and were following a dead, boring and useless religion of works. They were trapped in this. They were performing sacrifices and doing all the good deeds they could left, right and centre to somehow earn God's favour and catch his eye to sort of see whether God might bless them in some way. There are people thinking that God rewards all of our good actions and kind words and at the same time he overlooks the bad we've done or somehow puts the good and the bad on the scales and the good hopefully outweighs the bad. They're thinking uh, that God is someone like that. Well, in steps Paul with the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas. And Christmas changed everything for Paul and it's about to change everything here for the Galatians as they reflect again upon what God has truly done for them in Jesus Christ. This Christmas message that Paul brings is filled with God's blessings for his people through adoption into God's family. So to get this, let's see where they first are. Though. Let's see where the Galatians are prior to this message coming, prior to this Christmas beginning to dawn upon them. Let's see where the Galatians are trapped. They are trapped, they are enslaved, and they're in bondage, is what Paul tells us. If we go there to verse 3, we see that. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved, there's that word there, enslaved or trapped, or in bondage, to the elementary principles of the world. Now, this section of Scripture here is part of a really long discussion that Paul's going through with the Galatians, and the whole thing there is about our right position or our justification uh, being by our faith in what Christ alone has done for us. It's a fairly long passage there, and we're just taking a, a piece out of it. But Paul's talking about this, and this is what he's saying here. He talks about when we were like children. When we were children, that is like infants, so it's like, like adults thinking like infants, who didn't have the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. When we were like that, we were ignorant of God, and we were living trapped and enslaved and in bondage to the very basic ways of this world. We were enslaved to the very elementary principles, the very basic foundation of this world. What the ways of this world were is what was trapping us in our thinking and we were in bondage and uh, held in captivity to that. In other words, we allowed the opinions, the attitudes and the corrupted ways of this world to dictate to us how we live, how we think and how we act. 
we had allowed, and particularly for the Galatians there, man-made religion to hold us in bondage as a system of works to somehow, somehow tip the scales of life in our direction by doing enough good things. This is how the Galatians were thinking at that time, and that God would reward their good deeds. Paul goes on to sort of explain what these elementary principles are in verses 9 and 10. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles, that's the same word he had in the verse there before, of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. It's going back to some sort of man-made religion here, tradition, and uh, all types of other things to try and earn God's favour. In many respects, if you're going to be religious like that, it's like being on a treadmill. You'll work hard as you can, you possibly can, you'll run as fast as you possibly can, but in actual fact, you're going nowhere as far as gaining anything with God. That's what religion's like when it becomes a, 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 a uh, trying to earn your way to God. In that sense, you actually become enslaved with that attitude. If I can just do enough good things, if I can just do enough good things... Somehow I'll learn God's favour, and we never can, because that's not the way God works. What do we find when that happens? We find that religion becomes dead, it becomes useless, it becomes something I don't feel anything at all about with God. It's not a living, vital relationship. It's actually a dead works. God seems distant, and God seems cold. This is where the Galatians were at this particular time, and this is where we are if we haven't yet met Christ and discovered who he is. And if it's not religion trapping us, then it's the world shaping our lives. It can do just the same thing. When it's like that, God doesn't really even write a mention in our lives at all. If I've got no even thoughts of religion, I'm just living for this world. There's no thought about God at all. I'm just living for me in this world. And if that's the case, if you're just living for yourself in this world, even then there'll be a sense of frustration. There'll be a sense of futility. There'll be a sense of emptiness even in this world because, again, we're getting trapped by these same things and this world's not actually meeting my needs. And what we can't see is we become enslaved to these systems and these lifestyles that we build around ourselves. We become caged up by them. We come to the point where we can't get outside of this system or this belief or this process that I've actually built for myself. We need releasing. We may set up a pattern of looking for social events to give me meaning in life. That's how some people do life. They look for one social event to the next social event. Somehow that sort of builds them up and now they're looking for more and more social events to be fulfilled. They float from one thing to the next. This is what happens when we live the way this world begins to shape our hearts or our minds. Or we may set up a pattern of looking for other people to approve of me and that somehow I get my identity from that. I'm looking for approval all the time. So if I can just keep getting enough approval from other people, for me, then I'll feel like I get on top of things. And again, what we do then is we build these faulty systems that enslave us and they trap us, and then we can't seem to get out. And that's how it was before the Christmas message takes hold in the life of the Galatians, and that's how it is for us if we are truly honest with ourselves, before the Christmas message takes hold in us. We're trapped and we're helpless. And in that I can be lonely, depressed, filled with frustration, looking to the world to satisfy my needs, but it can't do that. It can't do that. Well, here's where Paul now begins to bring this message of Christmas here to the Galatians. 
And this message is ultimately a message of release. It's ultimately a message here of release. God has done something to release me from this enslavement and trap that I've actually built for myself and got myself into. And it's in verses 4 and 5 here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has sent his son to redeem us, to release us from this trap, to set us free from this enslavement. This is Christmas. This is the joy and the celebration of who it is. And here we begin to see this glorious picture of what God has done. He has sent Jesus Christ, the God-man, to redeem us and to set us free. He says they're born of a woman. In other words, Jesus who is fully man. He's flesh and blood, just like us. But he's also Jesus, God's son. Jesus who is fully God. Fully God. Something we still can't comprehend this side of eternity. Of God and man wrapped up into one being. Jesus born under the law. Jesus who is tempted in every way like we are in life. So that ultimately Jesus can take our place to represent us in all of our rejection before God as we saw there in that uh, video. And what does he do? Jesus redeems us. As he represents us, he becomes our redeemer. This is what God has sent for us. And in this sense of redemption here is that Jesus takes our place in bearing all of God's divine displeasure towards our rejection of him, towards all of our sin. Jesus makes that redemption possible because he takes our place. We are released from the penalty of our sin that we have justly deserved. The judge of the universe declares us guilty of our crimes and pronounces the death sentence. Jesus, the Son of God, steps into that courtroom and says, I will take that penalty. I will bear that penalty. I will bear the payment of that price. This becomes the great message of Christmas. This becomes God's gift of redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, his only son. This is the release that he brings. This is an incredible aspect here that Paul's bringing to these Galatians. Jesus has redeemed you, God's son. Now, in no way do I want to play down the message of the cross. That's the last thing I want to do. But what Jesus has done goes beyond just redeeming us from our sins. That is a sensational news to hear. That is the wonderful glories of Calvary that we would sing of over and over again. That Jesus has redeemed us. But the generosity of God goes beyond just redemption. And that doesn't sound good, just redemption. Well, it's, that's amazing, just redemption. But it goes beyond that in the generosity of God as he displays that for us uh, through Calvary and beyond. God now calls us into a whole new relationship with him through this message of Christmas. Look what Paul says there at the end of verse 5. Just a few very simple words. To receive adoption as sons. To receive adoption as sons. Now we shouldn't gloss over that all that lightly or all that quickly. It's pretty significant. That's a very uh, staggering statement there that Paul has made. It's nothing short of breathtaking what Paul has just said there. Adoption as sons. Remember I come home and I might have shared this a while back. I was coming back on the, uh, from Tajikistan. I was just in the middle of the night, whatever time it was, three or four in the morning. And I'm reading through the book of Galatians. And I just saw that and it said, adoption as sons. And, it, and the, the Spirit just struck me in that plane. And I probably wept for about 15 or 20 minutes just as I thought about that. I'm adopted 
as a son, as a son of God. It's just amazing how God's Spirit does that sometimes. Just You read some of that, and I've read Galatians probably 150 times or more, and just got to that bit, and it just stopped me right there. Adopted as a son. God has adopted me as his son. Now, it's really significant when we think about Paul in the context of religion in his day that he would say something like this. Any religious activities of Paul's day were carried out in the context of trying to appease an angry God who was always grumpy. Of the, of the religious day of Paul's day, of all the Roman gods and the Greek gods and everything else they've made up, all of their sacrifices and rituals were trying to, to suck up to their God and try and make him happy. Because he's always angry and he's always grumpy, their gods. There's nothing sort of personal about him at all. If I could just get him on a good day, if I could just hope he was in a good mood, this God that I was trying to worship. And at best, I hope they could perhaps just soothe him with whatever offerings they might be able to bring that day, just to try and calm this angry God down. Their gods were always seen as distant and barely interested in human affairs in Paul's day. It's like they were just not personal beings at all. They were some distant, remote, powerful all-being who was just always angry. This is the context of religion in Paul's day with a multitude of gods that they had. The best they could hope for was just to stay on the good side of these so-called gods. There was certainly no thought of personal relationship with any of their gods at that particular time. So here Paul says this, The Lord God through Jesus adopts you as his son. This would be so foreign to them in thinking about gods. This would be just so totally different. Paul is saying that Jesus not only saves us, but he calls us into his family. God calls us his very own. He becomes our father. God calls us into a personal relationship with him. It's not something distant and remote and cold and dark. It's something personal. Totally contrary to what the Galatians would be thinking about when they thought about a God. This is not the God we imagine. Our gods are angry and distant. But you're saying this God adopts me as his son or his daughter? Let's think about adoption here as we just begin to see what happens here as Paul talks about this. Think about the adoptee. This can be an orphan person. A person who's no longer perhaps wanted by their parents or no longer be able to be supported by their parents or sometimes rejected by the natural parents. Or they can be orphaned by death or war as well. There's many ways that people can be orphaned. And they really are in a pretty hopeless position when it's like that. It can be quite devastating. Maybe they might be adopted or maybe they might get passed over and nobody adopts them. That can happen in orphanages. The adoptee doesn't have any family they can sort of really gravitate to. And they've actually lost all concept of belonging, the person who's an adoptee. It's a very, very hard place to be in, a very difficult place to be in. What about the adopter, the person who does the adoption? Well, they're the ones who have the choice to adopt. They, as it were, hold the power to make this choice and to go and adopt somebody. So we see two very different positions there. So what happens in this process of adoption as it takes place? The adoptee, the one who's in the very vulnerable position, is taken as a nobody and now becomes a somebody. The adoptee is taken as a nobody but now becomes a somebody. He or she is taken into a family 
and they take on all the privileges of living in the security of that family. They take on the family name and they are now identified as a member of that family. They are now a part of that family, just as my sister was all those years ago. Wasn't wanted by her parents. My parents came and took her and she just came in as our family as just one of our family and we loved her just as she was. The adopting family willingly take on the adoptee with all the problems that they might have. They say, we want you. We want you to be part of our family. We want you to be our son or our daughter. And they take you just as you are. And all of this adoption process here spells out a call into an intimate, personal relationship. An intimate, personal relationship. They go from just being a number in an orphanage to now having a brand new identity in a family. They were just perhaps a number over there, but now there are somebody with a name and a loving set of parents. A place they can call home. A place where they can be loved and nurtured and cared for just as they are. This is what God does for us through Jesus Christ. It's a glorious picture. We are called into a new loving family. We have a new identity. We have God as our Father and He personally and intimately is involved in our lives. He adopts us. He takes us into His family. Out of His sovereign love, He calls us His very own. He takes us just as we are. He takes us with all the baggage of life that we bring with ourselves. He takes us just as we are and He calls us into His family. We are not just a number to God. We are not just a follower of God. God calls us his very own children. For those in Christ, we are sons and we are daughters of God. That's amazing. That is just amazing. I'm a son or you're a daughter of God. We need to let that sink in. We need to stop and think that in Christ... I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. God has called me his very own. He's welcomed me into his family. God doesn't see me as a number. God doesn't see me just as a follower. God welcomes me as a son or a daughter into his family. God, I pray, let that sink deep into our hearts this morning. Let us see what enormous blessing that really, really is as we just dwell on that. We need to hear that at Christmas. We really, really need to hear that at Christmas because there are so many fatherless people out there. So many people have this picture of God as distant and angry and cold. God adopts us through Jesus Christ as his son or a daughter. God demonstrates there this generous blessing even further through adoption. As part of God's family, he gives us his spirit to witness of his love towards us. It says it there in verse 6, And because you are sons, you could put in there the fact daughters as well if you wanted to, because you are sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God gives us this incredible assurance of his love towards us through the Holy Spirit in dwelling in our hearts and our lives. 
because of Christmas, because of Christmas, we have the Spirit of Jesus now working within us, pouring out his love right throughout our lives. What is this? This is this precious, quiet voice within. It's unexplainable. It's just, it's just this assurance that you know that God loves you. You can't really put into it. You can't express it to somebody. And it happens at sometimes the most oddest times. It's the work of God's Spirit just revealing within this, God loves you. You are loved by God. And you have this sense here, God, I love you. And you have this sense of closeness or nearness with God. It's this quiet assurance that God gives us with this work of the Spirit within us. In fact, there, as Paul uses this word there, Abba, Father, it gives this picture here like a small child. I was only thinking of perhaps Jerome there earlier on. He's just starting to learn a few words. And he comes up to Dan and he says, Daddy, this is the picture here that Paul's trying to give us of this close, personal, intimate relationship through adoption that God calls us into in this family. It's an incredibly loving blessing. When you see Jerome come up to Dan, he says, Daddy, just think about it. That's how we approach the Father. And that's how God wants us to approach him. It's amazing. It's a Christmas blessing that comes through Jesus Christ. The blessing goes further. It doesn't stop there. As sons or daughters of God, we see there also that we are heirs. In the last verse, we looked at verse 7. It says there, so you are no longer a slave... You're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As the children of God, he gladly welcomes us into his glorious kingdom. He gladly welcomes us as an heir into all that belongs to him. Now we can very rightly ask, how much belongs to God? Everything. Everything. What does he do? He welcomes us as heirs into his kingdom. He no longer sees us as slaves. He welcomes us as a son and he welcomes us then as an heir through God. As sons and daughters of God, he lavishes upon us all that is his. God doesn't hold anything back. He holds nothing back. He freely gives us all things to enjoy as an heir, as a son, as a daughter. This truly is the message of Christmas. This is the Christmas blessings that Jesus has secured for us 2,000 years ago and that God has poured upon us through the death of his son to make it possible for us to receive them. We think about that today. How have you applied those blessings to your life? How can you apply these Christmas blessings of adoption to your life today as we think about these things? Well, firstly, through adoption, we found the identity we've always longed for. Firstly, through adoption, we found the identity that we've always longed for. The world we live in is living in an identity crisis. It really, really is. The world we live in is living in an identity crisis. Most of the population are asking, who am I? Who am I? What what am I doing here? What is my part in this world? What is my part in life? It's an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. What they then go and do is spend hours and hours on the internet or TV or magazines or whatever 
trying to identify with some sort of celebrity or sporting star or just somebody else. They're just trying to identify with somebody. Maybe I'm meant to be like that person over there and they'll just go and try and shape their life around that person. They'll try and find their identity in that person or in that thing. If I, if I could just be like him, if I could just be like her, I think I could find out who I really am now. That's, that's what they're trying to do with this identity crisis. And they do. They're going to build their life around that person. And what happens then is that, is that they're trying to build themselves all around this person and they're trying to shape themselves with the way that person dresses and the way that person might eat and the way that person might do certain things. And the further they get into it, they just discover it becomes a world of tears because they just couldn't sustain Like They can't be like that person over there. And then they go and discover that the person they've been trying to build their life on, well, that person, they've been trying to build their life on somebody else. It becomes a whole like a domino effect. And the whole thing becomes like a house of cards. It all just falls over. Because you can't build your life on somebody else. It's an identity crisis this world's in. But through adoption, with Christ, I now have a whole new family and I have a whole new identity. I now discover who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. So it doesn't matter what the world thinks of me. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter if I don't fit in with the world's standards. And that happens so easily, doesn't it? Just rock up to a Christmas party and see what happens there. The booze is freely flowing. My friends are getting louder and louder and the laughs are getting pretty crazy. It's all a pack of fun at the moment. The action and jokes are perhaps now getting a bit more crude and a bit more disgusting by the minute as the booze keeps flowing. They're actually becoming more offensive. Ah, but who cares? Everybody's having fun, they say. They're getting happier uh, with more alcohol flowing freely. You don't quite fit in. You think, oh, I think it's time to go now. Things are getting, starting to get out of hand. But your friends over here, they can't understand it. Why do you want to go? Come on, bro. The action's just starting now. Let's get into it. Let's just really let our hair down. That's what the world will be saying at this Christmas party. You're going to miss all the action. Just relax, cool it. Just don't worry about it. Just go with the flow. Trying to get you to fit in. But you just see, I don't fit. I don't quite fit there. I'm like a, you know, a square peg trying to go into a round hole. They seem to be doing all the cool stuff, but I don't fit. And now they're actually cutting me out of some of the action. They're now sort of cutting me out of some of the conversations. I'm just a really odd fit here. I don't fit at all. It's the identity crisis. Jesus rescues me from this identity crisis. He rescues me. He's adopted me into his family and I have a brand new identity now with him. I don't need to identify with this world. I identify with Jesus and his family. Jesus loves me and accepts me just as I am. But not only that, as we think about how to apply these Christmas blessings of adoption to our heart today, not only that, he's also placed within my heart a glorious hope of a future inheritance. A glorious hope of a future inheritance. You might say, well, what good is that future inheritance to me now? It's the future. It's not really helped me here and now, today, on December the 24th, 2017. It's a future inheritance. How's it going to help now? As an heir of God's kingdom adopted into his family, this future inheritance produces an unshakable hope. Romans 5. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into his grace, this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That all happens at Christmas. In the fullness of time when God's Son comes and redeems us, He puts within us hope. Now we live in a difficult world. Even in an adopted family, there's difficulties. This is the world we live in. This is the brokenness we're amongst. Even in God's family, there's difficulties too because we still have remaining indwelling sin and there's difficulties there. But God has placed the hope of a future inheritance of his kingdom in our hearts as part of our adoption into his family. And this hope carries us on. This hope carries us on through any manner of difficulty that lies before us. I was watching a, a war movie earlier in the week and I thought, how could you go through the horrors of war? How could you go through the absolute um, mind-bending, shattering experiences of war without any hope of a better day down the track? That must be the only thing that carries these people on. This hope of a better day down the track if we can just get through this war. Hope is an incredibly strong thing. And this is exactly what God does for us. He places this hope within us as an heir, as a son or a daughter of God. These are the glories of Christmas. These are the wonders of adoption that Jesus has done for us at Christmas. Jesus remarkably seeks us out. He finds the fatherless and he brings them to his father. He calls them into his family and now we have a brand new identity in him, in Christ. We need to ponder upon that today. We really need to think about that. We need to meditate upon that. What God has done for us, what he has lavished upon us at Christmas in the fullness of time when Jesus has come. It's so easy for our minds to remain at the Christmas lunch table. It's so easy for our minds to get there now, thinking about all the preparations tomorrow. And that's not necessarily wrong, but it's when it dominates our mind, then it's wrong. It's so easy for our minds to remain under the Christmas tree with all the presents and think that's what Christmas is all about. We need to stop and we need to think about what God has done for us at Christmas. Sometimes I don't think we think hard enough here on these generous blessings that he's given to us. We get wrapped up in all the negativity of our life. We get wrapped up in all the downward spiral of our life and we just lose sight of what God has done for us. Or we get wrapped up in all the ways of this world and, and buying gifts and making that the whole dominating scene of Christmas. We just don't stop and think about what God has done for me. He sent his son in the fullness of time. He's redeemed me. He set me free. He's placed his spirit in my heart and he's called me into a personal, intimate relationship with him. He's adopted me. He's taken me into his family. He's given me a new name and a new identity. He's made me an heir of his glorious kingdom. He's placed this incredible hope in my heart. Sometimes we just don't stop and think about what God has done for us. We just let it wash over, pass by. Let's get on to New Year's Day and let's move on to the next thing. 
We've got to stop, we've got to think, and we've got to gaze at the wonder of Christ through adoption this Christmas. Father, thank you. Thank you today that you have adopted us and you've called us into your family. Please, Lord, please help us to focus upon the glorious blessing that that is. God, please help us today to not get caught up in the trappings and the trimmings and the whole festive season and lose sight of what it's really all about. Help us to begin to appreciate these eternal blessings that you've given to us. Help us to see what a glorious thing adoption is, that you've adopted us into your family and that we can say, Abba, Father, Daddy. Holy Spirit, let that work deep in our hearts that I pray. Let that work in our hearts to see what a glorious relationship that God has called us into. Father, let this Christmas be a significant Christmas. A Christmas where we grow in love with you. We grow in love with Christ. And Lord, we let that love flow out through our lives to our neighbours and our fellow friends. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've adopted me. Thank you that you've taken me from being fatherless and you've given me your father. Thank you, Jesus. God, we ask that. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.